0: Good morning, everybody. It is so good to be with you and just to join you in worship. And man, there's a lot of stuff up here. Um... Can I just put this down here? Is that okay? Um, so uh, I, I, it's, it's a privilege. I haven't been here in a couple months uh, to worship with you. And I just want you to know what a, what a wonderful experience it is to see people in the hallway, kind of old friends and new friends, and then just to, to see what God is doing uh, in this community and you can f- sort of feel what God is doing it at d- doing as we worship together. I just want to commend um, just Pastor Russ and Courtney. just I really appreciate them. They are such good, good people. i 've known them since I was in college, and uh, I, Courtney was actually on my sister wing uh, from in my dorm and uh, and, and so uh, we worked together in college and then we worked together in Colorado Springs at a church there and um, at, at many, many points throughout our lives together we 'd meet we'd talk about what Jesus was doing in each of our families and our lives and It is such a cool thing that God would put us together. Once again, to fulfill his purpose. And uh, so I just believe in them so much, and I'm so grateful for their investment in, in all of us together. And so I uh, just wanted to say that I, I want to recognize that um, m- the most important person in my life is here, and I want you to see her. So uh, sweetheart, will you stand up? This is Amy, my wife of 24 years.. She is a beautiful woman, both inside and out. And she is the person that keeps me sane. If I did not have her, I would be a crazy person. So, uh, and some people think I am anyway, but, uh, also my daughter Grace is here, but I won't make her stand because that would be too embarrassing. She's 17 years old. And so, but, uh, but I, I love my family. My two little guys are here. Um, 11-year-old and 9-year-old, Ethan and Owen, and um, I think they're, aren't they here in Kids Church and, and, and having a great time? And then I have two older boys, for those of you who might not know, uh, they are both in college at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they, they are 22 and 20, just about, yeah. So... um so anyway uh, it 's such a great such a great thing um, to share with you today as you as you know of course you 've been in a series on healing, and i 'm going to do something today where I share my story with you about healing in my own life and uh, we have a a saying around one chapel that we 've been using for the last couple three years, I think. And uh, and it is this idea: it, it, we believe that our purpose, our purpose together as a church, is to help each other move. Everybody say move. move. We help each other move from where we are to where God wants us to be. And that means whether you've been a Christian for thirty years and you know the scriptures backwards and forwards, guess what? There is still more for you. There is more of God to experience. There is a closer relationship that is coming, that he wants with you. If you're still investigating the claims about Jesus Christ, still trying to figure out and not sure, you know what the purpose of our church is? Just to walk with you and help you move one step closer one step towards where from where you are to where God wants each of us to be. And and this is a this is a, I think a foundational idea in our church because I think people get stuck. You ever been stuck? You ever stuck in your life? You ever have you ever maybe not wanted to move? right? I, we went through a season when we moved to Austin where we moved four times to get to the house we were finally going to be in for a few years. We moved four times in, in a, a year and a half. It was not fun. Put our stuff in, in uh, storage pods, you know, for a bunch of those months, and lived with my mother-in-law, and boy, was that a blessing. No, it really was. It really was a blessing. I wasn't being sarcastic. It was a blessing. She has a great house, um, and so, and, and so we lived. We lived with people, and we lived in a rental house, and we did all this. And it, it was just moving sometimes is a pain, and it can actually be painful. Have you ever? I mean, we, I, I've heard that four moves equals a fire, <laughs> right? Like all your stuff was destroyed in a fire. That's kind of how it works. But I, so I think we. We struggle sometimes to move forward. We struggle sometimes to to move in our lives. I think spiritually, sometimes we get stuck. But here's what I I believe. I, I don't think God wants us to be static. He doesn't want us to stay where we are. He wants to draw us toward himself. He wants us to move. And so today, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the way I moved through a season of healing in my life. And I'm gonna gonna read a couple of um, stories from this book. It's called Messy Church. I I wrote it a few years ago, uh, kind of about the story um, that was going on in my life. And so I'm just gonna read a few little segments of it um, from time to time. But I'm gonna start with Jesus encouraging his disciples in how they move through pain or hurt, how they move through relational difficulty and challenges. What I've realized is that most of the reason we don't want to move has to do with pain, fear of what is next, or fear of what happened, or pain from what happened in our past. And usually that pain is associated with people. Have you ever heard the term, hurt people hurt people and are easily hurt by others? That's a phrase. Hurt people hurt people and are easily hurt by others. And sometimes when we get hurt, it's so hard to move because every every movement is going to create pain. And I to realize that people are the source of a lot of this pain, and whether it's your parents or a, a, a teacher in your past that was mean to you, or a coach, or 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 a pastor, or or a friend, these are challenging, challenging things. And I, I want you to know that I understand that as a pastor. As the pastor of one chapel, I I understand that, and I want to tell you about what God did in my life. Here's here's the first passage we want to read. Matthew 18, 15 through 17, it says, If a fellow believer hurts you... I'm going to read it. Sorry, I didn't clarify this. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. Um, I I think it's Eugene Peterson, in his translation, does a beautiful job of sort of waking us up to how this works. He says, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, give up. (laughs) If he won't listen, throw him out of the church. If he won't listen, go tell all your friends that he won't listen. No if he won't listen, post it on Facebook. <laughs> Make sure that other people are aware. No, that's not what he says. He says, if he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. I love that idea. In the presence of two or three witnesses would be an Old Testament saying a a way that they established ideas in their community people witness things two or three witnesses would establish it as fact so that's what Jesus is using here in his words to his disciples and to the others who are listening here he says if he still won't listen then tell the church if he won't listen to the church you'll have to start over from scratch confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. I love how that describes the process. I, I, w- I would call this God's relational basics. God's relational, this is, this is basics. Like, have you, ever, have you ever had a problem with your computer? If you're over 45, you likely have had more problems than you want to admit with your computer. But there's a thing that happens to me, like, like my brother, who is uh, almost 10 years younger than me, he makes fun of me all the time, because everything I touch that has some kind of technology dies. <laughs> I have a magic touch somehow of things not working right, and it'll work for everybody else, and then I'll touch it, and it won't work right. They actually are studies being done on that kind of energy that comes from a human body into a computer or whatever. It's kind of uh, kind of weird, but I may have the disease. <laughs> but here's one of the things I can't stand is when I've got this problem and I'm working through it with my computer or working through it with my phone, and sometimes I'll even have to take it to the Apple store. I, I, I use Apple products, so I take it to the Apple store, and it's so funny seeing people sit around at the Genius Bar, Right? It's a lot of people who are not geniuses sitting at the genius bar. And they're sitting there, and you can see they're just frustrated, and they're just trying. And the first thing that the person does when they come up in their nice, cute, blue shirt, some millennial 20-something, and steps up to you with their little glasses and their beard, and the first thing they say is, have you uh, started it again? Have you turned it off and turned it back on? That makes me so mad. (laughs) Why can't I get this? It's so simple. It's so easy. Just try turning it off and turn it back on, and many times, instantly, it will be fixed. I sort of feel like this scripture is Jesus' reboot for hurt and pain. It's just super simple. You just do it. Just, just, this is his reboot for taking people through a little process. And I'm just going to give you some uh, relational basics. I'll go through them real quick. One, talk to them privately. Don't spread it out everywhere. Don't, don't, don't go tell all your friends. And listen, he says, go immediately. Go talk to them if you've been hurt. When you let hurt stir, stir for a while in your life and you don't go talk to the person who has hurt you it really gets harder to go and talk to them. It's much easier to do it first. Number two, take one or two friends with you. If that doesn't work, one or two friends. Help in a loving, a, a loving relationship where there's friends who are working things out together. No gossip. If you're not part of the solution, don't become part of the problem. But, but asking for people to come with you and help you. Number three, tell it to the leadership of the church. That's what Jesus essentially says. He says, tell it to, to someone who's in charge and ha- let them help you walk through it people who've been there before someone who will provide leadership someone you can trust number 4 treat them like a person who needs repentance and love i love that phrase in the other in other translations you might have heard it as treat them as a pagan and a tax collector i thought i always thought it was interesting how jesus treated pagans and tax collectors how did he treat them well he, ate, he loved them he ate with them he told them stories he kept holding out the kingdom in front of them. So I think this is a thing we have to really understand. This is like turning off and turning on your computer. It's just part of being in community together. You, there are going to be hurts, and it's going to, there are going to be misunderstandings, and there are going to be issues that come up in our own hearts. There's going to be triggers sometimes from our own past. I can tell you that is so true with me. But the question then becomes, what if the violations are even more egregious than just a relational hurt? What if, what, if, what if the complexity of the situation is so much greater because of a failure or an abuse that's difficult to get over? I experienced just such a, a thing in my own life, I was in, I was a worship pastor f- for sixteen years at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, and I—I I had gone at, right out of college, twenty-five years old, became the worship pastor there and started growing and learning and experiencing the growth of that church. It became quite a large church. I think it was about uh, it, was, it was about fifteen hundred people when I went there, and it just started to grow over over many years. It was you know kind of long and slow, consistent growth. And I I learned so much in that experience, and I, I I worked for a pastor who I I just thought was loving and 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 really helpful. Like he was he he had a he had a kindness about it. And he had an openness ab- about him, and um, I, I think he loved God with all of his heart and just wanted to serve. And 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 he and and as we served together, I I just grew to appreciate him and love him. I certainly grew to understand his flaws and his faults. Uh, whenever you work side by side, there, there's no better way to uh, actually get to know somebody than to work with them. And uh, you get to see their flaws and their, their struggle. But I began, um, I, I just, I began my family there, I began my ministry there, and, and I was really shaped by that church. I was really shaped by that man. His name was Pastor Ted Haggard. And Pastor Ted was a a lovable figure in our church because he was indeed quite relational. And so these relationships can be the source of such beautiful work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ, but they can also cause such incredible pain. And I... I served there for 16 years, as I said, and one day there became a concern because a guy on a, uh, who, who was on a Denver radio station, he was on a talk radio station, he was accusing Pastor Ted of some really awful things. And he was, he was accusing him, uh, him of having a, a sexual encounter with him. And of taking some drugs, if you can believe that. This was during 2006. 2006, political drama playing out in our country, much the same as it is right now. I mean, it was so thick and mean, and people were talking about stuff. And, and this pastor was quite influential because he was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. He had influence, influence. He was on a Monday morning call with the White House every week. George Bush was the president then, and so there was it was there was big stuff happening, and this and 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 so the, there starts to be rumblings on this talk radio show, and they're going to reveal the proof. They're going to reveal this guy this week and it just starts kind of spreading and the local news kind of grab onto it like what is going on and we kind of all thought this is crazy politics this is crazy this cannot be true in any way and when they started accusing him of of taking meth right that was the accusation we were like no way our pastor will never take drugs that's nuts Turns out it was true. Turns out the whole thing was true. And I remember October 31st, 2006. We were having a huge harvest night uh, where families and kids would come and ride rides and stuff. I was wearing a chicken outfit. I had a massive chicken outfit. I tried, to, I tried to get the picture for you to see it, but they, we couldn't get it sized right. But I was wearing a chicken outfit with a big thing. And, my little, and the reason I was wearing a chicken outfit, because it matched my little boy, Ethan, and his chicken outfit. And he was just not quite two years old. And so I was carrying him around all day and walking with him. So big chicken and little chicken. <laughs> I guess that's called a chick. And so I remember that night was sort of like the last night of innocence in my life. The last night where I, I didn't, I didn't think anything could hurt me or I didn't think this could hurt me, didn't expect it. But the next day, all that began to occur, and then the events began to unfold. I'm, I, I recorded uh, one of, in one of these chapters here something that happened. I said, uh, Thursday had come like a whirlwind that tore apart our church family with an emotional severity. <clears throat> Sorry, I, I didn't expect to cry here, but everybody who knows me expected it. thursday had come like a thanks appreciate it like a whirlwind and tore apart our church family with an emotional severity that i had never experienced a tornado of allegations rumors and unbelievable accusations and consumed our thoughts and emotions all day at new life church I had known since 9:30 that morning that some of the allegations were true, and we were just trying to get our arms around what to do next. I called a staff meeting and said some words that sounded hollow. As I tried to bring comfort and strength to a room full of people in need of assurance. We have a process to deal with these kinds of allegations set forth in our bylaws and the overseers are flying in now to engage I was barely present. It was surreal. I felt the out-of-body experience happening to me as I sat in front of our staff on that wooden stool Instead, inside the youth building. We called the tent. They looked fearful with empty looks in their eyes as they wondered why I wasn't saying, this is all nothing to worry about. Everybody go back to work. Later Thursday evening, I attended a trustee meeting where six wise older men heard the unthinkable. I walked across the parking lot to the next meeting where our elders had gathered with our church overseers. The cold November wind felt like relief on my warm cheeks. The room was tense when I arrived, and I felt the shock and disbelief transition to anger and frustration. Tear-stained faces and others with clenched jaws stared at one another as we began to accept the struggle our church family was about to endure. The unimaginable was happening our pastor had violated his marriage vows and betrayed his congregation our family was falling apart i gave the first public interview to a local denver news station while walking out of the world prayer center at 11:15 p.m. <laughs> they were running all over our uh, all over our property trying to get people to talk and so I did it at 11 15 it ran on national cable news stations all day long on Friday but I never saw it because I was in the hospital it's an interesting confluence of events here because I was in the hospital because we were having our f- fifth and final baby and uh, my wife when we she found out we were pregnant with this number five she cried for three weeks she wanted three. I wanted four. So we had five. <laughs> and uh, and I remember I had gotten home from what I just described to you, and I went into the bedroom it was late at night, and I'd just given that interview, and I knew it was going to go out to the world, and I could tell that the weight of the world was on me. I laid down in bed and just tried to go to sleep, and I had been asleep probably two hours. So it was new. It was uh, midnight, and about. Two o'clock, my wife shakes me. She's like, Babe, I think it's time. <laughs> I kinda looked up and I saw the little red numbers on my on my not on my phone, my, my clock. And I and I was like, Babe, it's not time. Go back to sleep. So she kind of just closed her eyes for, and then a few minutes later, no, babe, it's time. It's really time. We have to go. So I got up on two hours of sleep, and we went to the hospital. And that's where we had our fifth child, who was a 10-pound boy. (laughs) 10 pounds. My wife is pretty awesome. And so um, I was in the hospital all day, and it was like I was cocooned, while the storm went on outside. You have to understand the nature of Pastor Ted's role. Uh, So influential, so many churches, so many places, and everybody wanted a piece of the story. So our parking lot was filled with CNN, MSNBC, uh, ABC, all this. It was an incredible moment of um, shock and hurt and pain. I became the interim senior pastor. And I remember the overseer Overseers coming and sitting me down in front of them. I had a baseball hat on because I'd been at the hospital and we were, you know, just going through the whole thing. And, and I'd gone to met with them and they looked at me and said, okay, can you lead the church through this thing? I, I remember just saying, I remember just the foolishness of saying, yes, I can. <laughs> I, I, I'd been leading worship in that church for 16 years I knew they would trust me but I didn't know what was ahead. So for 10 months I was the interim senior pastor and and during that time it was it was incredibly painful to go through. All the the dynamics Pastor Ted initially responded well but then he didn't respond well and then there was would be a story that would be carried in newspapers and late night talk show hosts were making fun of him and making fun of us nationally. It was, incre- it was just an incredibly horrible experience, but that experience wasn't as bad as the disappointment that followed when I didn't think Pastor Ted responded as well as he should have. Because that that pain came to a personal place with me, to a relationship. And as he he wrestled through the things, and listen, in a mess like that, in some ways, everybody gets mud on them. I mean, it's just hard to figure out how to get through. But I know this is... I know this is hard for you to Im- it's not as uh, sorry I know this is not hard for you to imagine for some of you who have been here a long time because you went through your own storm you went through your own struggle but I as I worked through this over the 10 months and over the actually the years that that continued to come after this experience he was, he was dismissed from the church and then um, really he, n- he never got reconciled with the church at all. Started a church three years later down the street. Really a, a, a deeply saddening experience for me. Here's what I know. I know that God knows and his mercy is perfect and I know his justice is perfect. Perfect. Thirteen months from that scandal, we had a a man armed with a thousand rounds of ammunition come on our campus and start shooting people. We became one of those churches where there was a shooting. Thirteen months after this scandal, the new pastor had come. He was in place. He led us through that, that incredibly horrible season where the church just had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Here's what I want to tell you. God's mercy and his justice are enough to walk you through that. I just want to read a passage of scripture. It's in your message notes. Psalm 9, 7 through 9 says, The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge. I want you to underline that in your message notes. The Lord is a Refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. I want to tell you that our church found God as a refuge and a stronghold in times of trouble. That we found him in the midst of worship, that we found him in the midst of a a new beginning, even though there was loads of pain And there needed to be healing and there needed to be a process that we had to go through. And that process was longer than we wanted it to be. (laughs) Don't you wish that things could just be done? Don't you wish it could just be as easy as starting your phone over? But sometimes it takes longer. Here's what I want you to take courage in. God takes account of all hurt and injustice in our lives. Think about that. God takes account of all hurt and all injustice in every one of our lives. He knows what's coming. He knows what's happening. He knows what's happened. And he is willing to walk with you, to be a stronghold in times of trouble and to be a refuge for the oppressed. Here's what Paul said in Romans 12, 19. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Sometimes, most times, we want to punish people. Who have hurt us. We want to take revenge on them, even. We want them to suffer. There were moments when I was so hurt that I wanted Ted to get what was coming to him. Of course, he was getting all that was coming to him. And what I what what turned in my mind as I went through all that was. A revelation of the pain and the the suffering he was indeed going through, and had been through, and was going to go through. But here's the here's the bottom line of this verse: is we don't need revenge if we know perfect justice is coming. Think about that. So many people don't have, they don't think about this life we're living in terms of eternity. They don't see everything we're going through in terms of a judge who will take care of all injustices one day. I don't know how a child who's been abused by a parent could ever get over this kind of abuse or any kind of abuse if they don't really have this hope or this healing that comes through knowing God is with them and that he will take care of them as they grow up. I think there are many, many adults who have hurts and wounds deep inside of them that they never could move forward. They couldn't forgive their parents. They couldn't forgive their spouse. They couldn't forgive their friend. They they didn't know how to do it. That cannot be true of us as God's people. And the reason is, is because we have hope for what is coming, that God the judge, the perfect judge, knows how to redeem all things, and he knows how to dispense mercy, and he knows how to dispense justice. He's perfect at it. There is no way he can fail or make a mistake at that. Now, in the short term, the struggle for us is so difficult but I think God wants us to move toward healing. I'm just gonna give you some ideas about moving toward healing. And I spent so long on that story, I, I didn't expect it to tumble out of me this way. But I came this morning kind of trying, wanting to be as honest and open with you as I could be because I want you to know I've felt in many ways the hurt and the pain of violation of broken promises and a failure, it is what drew the 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 pastoral team the the leadership team at PRF to my office on a day um, about a year ago or a little over a year ago and I remember sitting with them in that room and talking to them, and and realized that what God had taught me, I could share with them. Here's what God taught me in the process. God's desire is for us to move toward healing, but we have to move in order to see it. We have to move forward. So there's a step. There's, there's, some people say, well, just forgive them. Can't you just forgive the hurt? And the Yes, you have to forgive them, but I find that it is step one. It is not the sum total. So let's talk about forgiveness really quickly. Step one is forgive. Matthew six fourteen through 15 says, it's Jesus, he's speaking, and he says, for if you forgive men their sins when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is saying here that the, you're defined by forgiveness, that you have to realize how much you've been forgiven because it will in turn cause you to look to others who have violated and who have, who have hurt you and offer forgiveness because it is what you've been given. And he, I think Jesus is saying here, you've been so filled up with forgiveness, don't ever forget it and let it pour out to others. That's what he's saying. Forgiveness, though, <laughs> is a decision, but healing is a process. M- my parents my parents got divorced when I was 17 years old. And I found myself over the years, many years, having to go back to deciding to forgive as I discovered the, the scar that that left on my life. I've had to do, say, do the same thing with Pastor Ted over and over again. I'll notice things. Things will come up. And I'll have to say, okay... Oh, I choose. I've already chosen to forgive. That was a decision, and I'm making the decision again because I'm in a process. Because I'm defined by forgiveness. Because I am a sinner just like every other person on this planet. We can't rate sinners. Well, that guy's a really bad sinner, and I'm just kind of a middle of a road sinner. My wife's like barely sins at all. Can't rate, you can't rate people that way. It doesn't work. Jesus is saying forgiveness is mandatory for a healthy heart. It's, it's, a he- it's for the Christian, a, a mandatory idea. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will drop dead. unforgiveness does something incredibly damaging to you and to me. And that's why Jesus says this right here. You got to decide maybe to forgive more than once. Here's what forgiveness is not. Ready? I'm just going to cruise through them. It's not excusing the wrong or denying punishment. It's not requiring an individual to become a doormat or a martyr. It's not based on fairness or apologies. (laughs) My wife, she's such a justice person. She's like, if they would just apologize, then I would forgive them. I'm the merciful one in the marriage. <laughs> a feeling—it's not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling. You can forgive without good feelings. It's not forgetting. Some abuses, some failures, some pain—you ne- you never forget. You just choose to move forward in healing, the healing that God has for us. It's, forgiveness is not trust. Just because you forgive them doesn't mean you have to trust them again. You have to remember this. You have to remember this is how it works. Now, what is forgiveness then? Let's run through it. Forgiveness is a choice. It is an act of faith toward God. It is, it is not just an act of faith towards a person, it is an act of faith toward God. It is an act of faith toward him to say, I know that you're the judge, I know that you can handle all the injustices of my life, and so I'm going to offer forgiveness like you offered me, because it, this experience that I'm having in life, I can't handle it on my own I need faith and I need hope and I need your love and I need your forgiveness and now I'm going to offer all that to someone else. Forgiveness is a dismissal of debt that releases your resentment. When you dismiss them from the debt that they owe you, from the judgment, there's a release of resentment yielding your right to exact punishment or extract punishment. Forgiveness is transferring the penalty and determination of sentence to God. You don't, you don't, create the penalty. Forgiveness is a doorway to something else. It's a doorway to reconciliation. When we don't forgive, we get stuck. When we refuse to forgive, we we get trapped. So we have to forgive, and that forgiveness propels us forward. It propels us to another healing part of the journey but i think the step 2 is reconciling reconcile step 1 is forgive step 2 is reconcile and reconciliation is so hard to do because it requires a lot of time and energy and here's what i mean by reconciling second corinthians 5:17 through 19 says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old is gone the new is come all this is from god who reconciled us to himself through christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting men's sins against them, and He has committed to us, you and to me, the message of reconciliation. Now, you know what reconciliation means. It means that if you look up the origin of the word, reconcile means to say the same thing. That's in your message notes. To say the same thing, and very often when you come down in your checkbook, you have your checkbook, you have your, you have all the. The bank statements, and you look, you go down there, go, 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 down, 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 down. What your checkbook says and what the bank says are the same. If they're not the same, you're in trouble. That's called reconciling your checkbook. Anybody reconcile their checkbook anymore? Three, exactly. (laughs) Nobody does this anymore. Reconcile. You reconcile they, the two things say the same thing, and this reconciliation is such an important part of the journey of recovering and healing it 's not a negotiation it's it, here 's how it goes well, so you sit down with somebody who has hurt you and you reconcile with them and here's how it works well you said this no i didn't yes you did you said it on this day well that that's not what i meant to say what i meant to say was and well you said that and it hurt me okay uh, you're right i did say that but i didn't say this okay you said that and it really hurt me and you did this and you you Sometimes it's very difficult to get to reconciliation because the damage is so great. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not treating this process lightly. I spent two 8-hour sessions with Pastor Ted over the over the months that followed a- among many other shorter meetings, but two 8-hour. I mean, we met at 9 and we ended at 5 wrestling through Reconciling some of these things was very difficult. And you know what happened? We couldn't say the same thing. That was very sad to me. It was very sad to me, but I knew that because I am a Christian, I had to forgive. But I also knew that if I was going to be a Christian, I needed to be willing. To reconcile, if I was going to trust what God would do, if I was going to be a believer in miracles, if I was going to be a person that believed that God works in people's lives, I'm going to have to commit to that reconciling process. Sometimes it's not possible. If you get in an abusive situation where a family where a father dies or a mother has died and you can't reconcile because they're, they're not around to do it. People lose touch with one another and they can't come back very often. Listen, reconciling is not mandatory. Forgiveness is mandatory. Reconciling is a process you and I as Christians always have to be open to. If somebody that's hurt you wants to have a chance to reconcile, guess what, as a Christian, I think, my opinion is, you have to be open to it. And I think this is the way God wants us to function in our lives together. And and reconciliation requires a couple of things. It requires listening and it requires patience. And sometimes it happens on a small scale and you can work through it. Sometimes it's a big deal and it takes longer. But that's part of the process. But it's different. Reconciling is different than forgiveness. Forgiveness is a thing you can do, you can decide once, and you can stick there. And you just offer it, and you open your heart up, and you allow God to take care of them. Forgiveness is relinquishing your judgment. It's not your job to judge them. That's God's job. Reconciling is a different thing. Finally, the last step is step three, restoring. Step three, restore. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Restoration is the decision to re-engage in a trusting relationship. Now, this is one of the hardest things, but it is not mandatory, and and many times it's not even possible. But I think as believers, we have to be the kind of people who always believe that God can restore. Restore. And what I found in my journey, even though it was hurtful with Pastor Ted, and even though we couldn't come to a reconciling process, God has been so faithful to my heart to restore my life, which is why I stand here today willing to pastor, willing to take risks, move to Austin, start a church. (laughs) do something crazy, like have multiple sites where you have church, where we'll influence the city with the gospel in more places than just one. Because God's restoring work has been happening in my life. I'll tell you one last story, and then I'm way over, and I, I apologize, but I only come here every so often, so I, you've got to get all there is of me. I'll deal with Russ later this week. He'll be mad at me and we'll work through it. In the first two years of our church, we grew very quickly here at, in, in Austin at one chapel. And I ended up, um, we ended up moving to a school, Westlake Performing Arts Center incredible, incredible facility, Um, just multi-million dollar facility, incredible lights and audio equipment and beautiful setting and stage. It was awesome. It was incredible. And so we went there because we needed more space. We were in this commercial office building and we didn't have enough space and, and we were growing at a pace. We just, thought was really um, God's grace in our church. And so we, we took took the risk and went to Westlake and started meeting in that auditorium. And that was where I first learned about how segmented the region of Austin is. <laughs> I knew it in my head, theoretically. I'd heard people talk about it. Now I really know it by experience. But we went there, and we were there for a year, and it just, we, we didn't move forward as a church, and, and, and we, the cost was, um, was, was so much, so great, because we had the, the commercial office building for in the, during the week, and we had this weekend venue, and so we decided uh, we got to do something. This is not working. We can't keep going financially this way. We're going to have to decide to give up one. We had a five-year lease on one. We just had a one-year lease on the Performing Arts Center, so it just seemed right to, to say we're going to be done with the Performing Arts Center and go back. To our, and, and so we bought an extra strip of uh, square footage in the commercial office building so we could fit our children's ministry in, and, and, and that helped fix it, and we went to three services. Amen. It was, yeah, oh yeah, it was awesome. And so <laughs> it was very painful. So I, 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 I was going through this agony. I was like, okay, God, you gotta help me here because this is a big decision. This kind of, this appears as though we've failed, this appears like we were wandering around in the wilderness, and you, we, you didn't lead us. It's an interesting parallel, right? God was with them in the wilderness; they kept following the fire and the pillar of cloud. But I was worried about what other people think. Remember, the source of hurt is usually what we, how we deal with others. It, it's not always them; sometimes it's you. <laughs> And so I'm, I'm going through this process and I'm, I'm writing an email. I'm writing a letter. I'm gonna tell it to the church. Here's what we've decided to do and here's why. And I'm evaluating why we're doing it and I, I'm writing down every point of the reasons why this happened and what's right. And I'm kind of trying to spin it in a way to help everybody understand what the stakes are financially and all this. And so I I was committed to being honest, but I was taking so much time. I'm letting people read my email. I'm adjusting it over, over a whole week. I'm like working on this thing. I was trying to anticipate every criticism and every question, trying to anticipate it. Finally, one of my... Pastoral staff guys, he, they, they look at me one day and I'm agonizing over this. They're like, what is your problem? Like, this is not that big of a deal. These people love you. They're gonna follow you. They're gonna go with you. It's gonna be fine. And it was in that moment that God spoke to me and showed me that I was still functioning as a pastor. Like there was a scandal that I had to defend. I, in my head, this is just, we're moving buildings, people. Not a big deal, right? I wish, I, I wish we could have done it different, but this is the way it's gonna work, and, and we're gonna do this. And it, I realized that God was working out of me this sense of making every decision out of fear and struggling through the decisions so agonizingly that it tormented everybody around me because I was thinking still in the first early years of our church like I was still working through a scandal. And everybody was going to scrutinize me. It's an interesting process. We have to move through, and we can't always know when the moments are going to come where the healing is going to show itself. But we have to be willing to let God move us. And, we, and uh, often you, you've got to go through forgiveness and reconciliation and, and, and restoration. But look, he is wanting to restore your heart and your life and your soul. And he does that through new birth. He does it through a, a, a wave of revelation in your life. He does it with friends who speak into your life and say, hey, what is going on with you? What's the big deal? The process and the risk of of three communities. Pastor Russ has been such a blessing to my life in perspective as I'm going through this. This is what God does. He puts us together with people who will help restore our hearts because movement happens with people. Typically doesn't happen by yourself. It's hard to move by yourself. It happens with each other. And so I'm so glad that God put me with you and God put you with me because what I think is we're moving forward together. And that's a, that, is, that is something that everybody doesn't always get. And I'm so grateful for it because it means that our church can be a church of healing. It can be a church where we see what God did in our history, in our hurt, in our past, in the failures that wounded us, we walked through it, we shared together, we cried together, we lived it out together, and we saw God restore us together. I really believe that. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want you to take this moment and we're gonna spend the last moment we have together Coming to the Lord's table. And as you come to this table, what I want you to think about is where you are in the process with your life, whether or not you need to forgive today, choose to forgive, whether or not you need to release someone from the judgment of your own heart. This is a perfect place to do that because this is what Jesus did for you. When you took him into your life, when you come to this table and you take him in by the bread and with the cup representing his body and his blood, when you receive him, what happens is he takes away all of the sin, the failure, the foolishness, the violations, he washes it all away in your life. That's what he did. He took it all on himself and then freed you. I want you to come to freedom this morning, to this table. Maybe it's you have to choose to forgive again. That's okay. That's okay. You're in a healing process, and you're choosing today to move forward once again, coming to this table. Maybe you need to reconcile with someone. Maybe there's somebody in your life right now that you just, you need to be open to it and you need to be watching for an opportunity to reconcile with them because this is who you are as God's people. Oh, I don't know if I need to do that, Pastor Ross. I don't know. I just feel like I'll look silly. I'll look foolish. Listen, it's worth it. (laughs) It's worth what God may want to do to heal a heart, to take the risk. Today, I want you to come to this table and realize that God wants to restore and he wants to heal because re- restoration is always possible. It may not be possible when the relationship that you've had that's broken, but it is entirely possible in your own heart. It is entirely possible because with God, all things are possible. And his healing is available for you. Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes we are healed. Come to the table and be healed this morning. Father, we thank you for this communion moment, this moment where we're here with you and you're putting your finger in different areas of our lives. Would you show us how to move forward, how to allow your healing to propel us forward. Together, Lord, as we come to this table, let freedom, let healing, deliverance, strength, let your life flow here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. We practice open communion at one chapel, which simply means if you want to love him and serve him and receive from him, we want you to participate. If you're uncomfortable for any reason, please don't feel pressured. Just walk through the line. We'll start to your right, and there's stations right up here. Let's begin now as the worship team leads us.